welcome to the full cup. It has been quite a while. And last time we recorded, we were going to do one more recording. Oh, I'm here with my sister, Rachel. Say hi, Rachel. So I'm going to give you the breakdown of what happened and where we've been and why we haven't been around. A lot of you know, a lot of you do not know. I was speaking with my dad about our next episode and what we were going to talk about. And we were going to address depression. And he had been thinking on it for a few days. And then he woke up, I think it was a Saturday morning. Mm-hmm. And he just had all of this information in his brain. And he was so excited about it. He sat down at the steps of his bathtub with his notepad, his yellow what are those? You know, legal note. Legal notepad. <laughs> and the steps of a bathtub. <laughs> and the steps of a bathtub. And he wrote notes down really quickly of everything he wanted to discuss. He went out and worked in the yard and came back in and had a stroke. It's been a few months. When did he have it? Uh, end of May. Yeah, it's been a few months. When we were in the hospital, he kept saying, what did he keep saying, Rachel? <laughs> this stuff is going to blow your mind. Write this down. If I don't make it, write this down. You got to get this out. Yeah. He pointed me and said, you got to, do you have your phone? You got to get this. You got to get this out. Yeah. And it's the only thing he talked about for six weeks. <laughs> Still. <laughs> <laughs> now, how many months later? Um, uh, which is, goes to show that, sorry, our dad wants to help people even when he's dying it's all he can think about is the information he wants people to know so that they can be happy but progress is good yeah he's making some good progress yeah so he is i'm acting like he died he did not (laughs) (laughs) it was still a rough day for our family rough while but yeah he makes great progress and he is working and not a not a ton because he has to rest his brain. And he I think he's eager to get back to doing podcasts, but wants to make sure that his words and all of the things yeah. um, are clear and concise. And but he also his brain thinks in very outside of the box ways, because when he was at cognitive therapy for his stroke and the doctor pointed at a banana and said, what color is this? He was like, well, he wants me to say a certain color, but that's all variant. I mean, it's a variable depending on the stage of the banana. (laughs) So he wouldn't just give him the yellow. He was like, well, at what point is this in the early stage, in the older stage when it's on? And my mom's like, just give him the yellow. And he's like, well, that needs a more defined question if you want me to give you the yellow at the mature stage of a banana. Right. So. So we will get him back on here. He's just not quite ready for it himself, but he will be soon. With that being said... We have the next next thing. (laughs) I get to fill in. So season two, I guess we will call this of, I almost said armchair expert. Hey, this is Dak Shepard (laughs) with armchair expert. Oh man, if you were Dak Shepard, I would have worn something way different. (laughs) Just your bra. (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) So anyway, the full cup. Okay, that's what we're going with. That's what this is called. Are you good to fill in for more than one? <laughs> yes, more than I can one? do a few. I would, right. You know I can talk your ear off about anxiety for days and yeah. days. And anxiety was actually top number one listened to podcast. 
which by the way, all of you listeners and people who have shared seriously, thank you. Right. Because I just looked the other day and we have over 11,000 downloads. Isn't that awesome? Shut the front door. What? More than the 24 members of our family? (laughs) There's more people listening. Yeah. And I frequently have people come up to me and just, you know, say thank you for whatever they've heard that has helped them or their child or their spouse. And that's the whole point. My dad just wants to help people. And he does that in his office, but it's pretty awesome that he can reach more people and share this information with whoever. So thanks for listening. And not a coincidence at all that you started this right prior to him having a stroke. Oh, I I thought that was uncanny because he's been talking for years. I just want to get it out Oh, because people have approached him about books and different ways to make lots of money doing this. And he says, I just want to get the information out. Yeah. Actually, three days before the stroke, my dad and I went out to dinner to have a meeting. We went to Chukarama and uh, we made a list of all the topics we want to cover, you know, more on depression, um, addiction. We sat out in the car and my dad tried to change the battery in his key fob for his brand new truck. And if you know my dad, well, you have probably noticed his hands. He has sausage fingers (laughs) and his brand new truck. I'm just watching him crumble this key fob because he is Lenny. I was like, dad, you're lenitizing your key. Give it to me. So I, I took it from him and changed the battery gently without breaking it. Anyway, it was like just such a fun night. And when I got the call that something had happened, I was just like, oh my gosh. I just thought he had already died because I didn't know the synopsis, you know, but my mind just kept going back to all of these interviews and our dinner and just how grateful I am for this because though he is still around, it has been a really awesome blessing to be able to spend this time with my dad. So if you are in a fight with your dad, go make up with him. And record a podcast. And then record a podcast (laughs) together. (laughs) The best way to your dad's heart is going to be through Chukarama. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, enough, enough. We can get started. So talking, speaking about perfectionism. Is that a word? Perfectionism? Or do Mm -hmm. we just say perfection? Perfectionism. This podcast, I feel like the majority of the listeners are people of the faith of the LDS Church, Latter-day Saints, not everyone, but in that culture, perfectionism is something people feel they need to be and feel pressure or feel guilt or shame if they aren't living up to this standard. I've always wanted to fill It may help me, you know, make some improvements. You know what? I I would say, too, it's not just particular to the LDS culture. Definitely exists there. But I'm seeing in my office also talking with emerging adolescents and adolescents that it is common also among kids who have lawnmower parents, right? Yes. Parents getting their approval by the performance of their children, where there's kind of a bigger dynamic there. The expectation is not just from the child, but is kind of mirrored to them through the actions and expectations of the parents. 
And lawnmower meaning they pave the path for their Yes, child. they jump out in front and make sure that everything can be performed to a perfect expectation. Okay. And I would honestly say, like, my oldest is the kid I feel like I was like that with the most because I'm new to it. And I, I would definitely... I mean, I see him struggle in this area a little yeah. bit, just wanting to be perfect, wanting my approval, wanting yes. to please. I don't which know. comes natural. Come yeah, which okay. na- I think comes natural oftentimes with an oldest child's birthright. I felt that as being the oldest daughter. My brother Lincoln didn't really, I don't know if he had that oldest child desire to perform at the highest level. Obvi not. <laughs> <laughs> but he was the funnest kid Just in kidding, town, Lincoln. Lincoln. Just <laughs> kidding. We're glad you didn't have that. Saying that is a little hesitant because it's all kids that have perfectionistic tendencies where it becomes a hindrance isn't because of their parents. Some it is. Just like I talked about in um, the anxiety episode, we're influenced by four different frameworks, right? Mm-hmm. That we have experiences in that create who we are. But that can be a big um, contributing factor, right? Mm-hmm. Framework of that. But also, I guess I should define what perfectionism, okay. um, the definition that I use. And when I work with my clients is that you believe that your value is dependent upon your ability to perform. Your, your worth, worth is only, I mean, you do not get worth from watching Netflix. Right. You get it from what you get done. Yes. That performance aspect of it. And why that becomes an issue is because then your value becomes conditional. And any of you raising children know that, or you just yourself, that's a really wobbly place to exist when your value is conditioned upon your ability to perform. Even though we're socialized that way in a lot of aspects in society, that's not true. You have value because of who you are. Libby has value because of she's hilarious in her honesty and her cute nose and shaved head and all of her fun eccentricities that are specific to her that she came to this earth with, I can say that because I'm the I'm the oldest, right? So watching her bounce around our house, sucking her thumb with her pigtails and her knowing just happy singy self, that came with her. Mm-hmm. She has but that. My nose didn't. <laughs> <laughs> a different nose came with her. Her current nose <laughs> is the result of a softball, right? <laughs> uh, accident. An accident. That was repaired. Yes, yes. So Anyways. Sorry to detract. Anyways, there has to be this idea of knowing that you want your children to know they are special because they are themselves. Yeah. Not because they can achieve a 4.0, which is a great accomplishment. Um, it's in addition to who they already are. It doesn't just simply define that's all that they are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. I like that. So value dependent on your ability to perform is what I consider a perfectionist. And I will ask people all the time, do you consider yourself a perfectionist or ask their parents? And they'll say, oh, no, their room's a mess. Um, Perfectionist doesn't mean that they perform across the board with everything perfectly. But it it does mean that there is a connection where their worthiness is is based on the ability to perform. Right. So So could you be a perfectionist if you don't? clean your house, but you feel like crap all day because you did it. <laughs> I'm not thinking about myself. I'm okay, just saying are you in sure? general. <laughs> like, does that... Uh, generally, perfectionists um, 
do the areas that they value and they usually accept those values. They're handed to them from somebody else, an outside source of being most valuable, perform very high and above in those areas of value. And there are levels of perfectionism that can be effective when it isn't hurting Mm -hmm. your own value, when it's adding to instead of taking away. So. Okay. Okay. So I, I've noticed in visiting with clients, and I say this noticed, this is aha within myself, right? Because I would have considered myself as part of that value dependent on ability to perform at a young age. But when I visit with clients, there's a couple things that I have noticed are very common. I don't want to be like catastrophic and right. say everyone or yeah. grandiose, but the majority of the clients that I see for perfectionism have several things in common, several symptoms, I guess we could say. The first would be is they use negative self-talk as motivation. So asking yourself when you have a success or a failure, what do you say to yourself? Uh, when I have a success, I am very proud of myself and I feel good. Okay. And when I don't perform, I just take a nap. Okay. I don't know. Awesome. See? I kind of, and that's why I, I do feel bad about myself for sure, but I try to ignore that, I guess. Okay. So many of the people that I see per, for perfectionism, even when they are successful, feel like their success wasn't a higher, highest, the highest level. Oh yeah. Um, have a hard time celebrating themselves because they feel like if it's a mediocre success, it's not worth celebrating. Mm-hmm. But also when they have something that they see as not a success are very shameful, use shame, guilt, and those things as talk to motivate for change. Now, why that's important to understand and why that is such a bad um, pattern of behavior to get into is that as human beings, we teach our brain what to seek, evidence to believe. So at some point in your life, when you were learning your colors, your mom probably said, or our mom, I'll say to you, Libby, probably pointed to that where there's a map in her house, Brazil is yellow, would point to yellow and say, yellow, Mm -hmm. the sun outside, yellow, Um, a pencil, yellow, dad's legal pads at the office, (laughs) yellow. And your little brain heard information and then sought evidence to prove that it was true. And then said, oh, my shoes, yellow. And mom was like, yeah, yellow. And you, by evidence, sought what you believe to be true and found out it was true. Mm -hmm. Now, if you use negative self-talk and you say things like, I am an idiot. Why would I say that? I can't believe I did. I can't believe I tried. I looked like such a fool. Why do you try? Those types of things. If that's the dialogue that we use, what do you think you're seeking your brain to seek evidence to prove is true? If you tell yourself you suck, your brain seeks evidence to prove that you suck. But why would you want to believe that you suck? As motivation to do better. So that's, that's where the internal voice is negative, self-shaming, guilt-ridden. That's so, that's really interesting to me because I just feel like that is so toxic. Uh-huh. How could it make you be better? Right. And it so, would just poison you. So a perfectionist would say to you, it's one of my greatest motivators is fear because I fear failing. So if I if I use what I fear most as motivation, it will help me seek it greater. So if I fear being the worst, if I tell myself I'm more, the worst, I'm going to perform better right. to keep me from being the worst. But it, it may work for a minute. It is a great motivating tool for a minute. But what happens is your brain starts to believe what you're teaching it. Yeah. It's seeking evidence to prove it's true. So you could do 20 amazing things in a day. But if you're saying to yourself, I am such an idiot, 
What do you think your brain is seeking? That one thing that you did that may have been, I don't know, ineffective, right? And then that's what it hangs on to. So you start building this belief that is devaluing you, which started out as motivation, but then it just becomes a toxic pattern of thought. Yeah. Anyways. Okay, sorry. So that's that's the first is negative self-talk. The second is the good, bad, right, wrong. Um, very black and white type of thinking, mm-hmm. not a lot of flexibility. The third is kind of goes back to this internal dialogue of negativity, but they use fear as motivation, mm-hmm. fear instead of choice, fear, which becomes a have to, I have to do this mm-hmm. versus I choose to do this. Yeah. Oh yeah. My friend, Jen, just got a tattoo that says fear is a liar. Yes, that that's beautiful. Saying? I, I need that, that. cross stitched for my off stitches. <laughs> that was the best answer. Yeah, I need that cross stitched on my pillow. I actually got no, that from perfect. my mentor in my program. Susan always would, she'd say cross stitch okay. that one for a pillow. Yeah, I like that. So fear it, is a liar. Yes, fear is a liar. So now, what do we do with those three symptoms? Right? Mm-hmm. Can we move there already? Absolutely. Okay. Let me back up and say this. Oftentimes, I see people in my office that come in for change. Well, every time, right. not often. Right. People come in my office because they want change. When the work starts and we start doing it and they realize what change is going to look like, they suddenly fear the change and become resistant to it because it's going to change their identity of who they are. Mm-hmm. Okay. Perfectionists, hard on themselves, high-performing, uh, pleasers, exhausted usually, a level of anxiety connected with that. When we start to talk about ways to make change that they are excited for, relieved for, you can see the stress leap off their chest, but then they realize what it's going to mean to others about who they are. They're no longer the yes person. Mm -hmm. They're no longer the go-to person. Then suddenly they're like, hold up. And not only just the individuals, but parents. When parents come in and say, gosh, I have this young girl that is such a stress case. She's a perfectionist. She can't let anything go. She doesn't sleep. She doesn't eat. She's in tears. She's fearful of failure. And and then we start working and changes start to happen. Parents sometimes go, well, wait a minute. What happened to my girl that was this perfect performing Mm -hmm. child? So, So with the change of perfectionism, do you see grades changing? Do you Possibly. See? Okay. And and the thing is, that may be a success for that child. Yeah. Does that make uh-huh. sense? Yeah. Um, a child that fears getting an A minus, getting an A minus, did the world end? No. And that goes back to what we talked about with anxiety, right? Leaning into the discomfort. There is a level of that in working with perfectionism. So what do you recommend for a parent who is watching their kid having these changes and the parent is going, oh, wait, what? Just say nothing? No. Well, there's two things. First of all, check yourself. Are you gauging your judgment as a parent on the behavior of a child? Oh, I got this made. I'm a great parent because look at how well my child's doing. If that's part of your identity, that's something you're going to have to resolve on your own. Second, you want your child to be effective in their life. If high performance is no longer effective for them because they are breaking down, that's not an effective place for them to be. So you have to allow room for that to change. Yeah. And I'll tell you, it's not easy. I mean, I, I, 
I talk things so sing song like, and then, and then right. recognizing that we talk about things that are very simple, but none of it is easy. Well, I think of like someone in a marriage who has to have a spotless house because their husband hmm. really loves a spotless house. I wonder what that's like. Hmm. <laughs> are you listening, too. Daniel? <laughs> and <kidding>. Andrew? <laughs> <laughs> My house is not always very clean, but I know it is. And and I want it to be clean too, because he's at work all day and whatever. But at the end of the day, if it isn't and he's upset, that's his problem. Mm-hmm. Sorry, bud. Right. I <laughs> yes. don't know. Like, yeah, because I'm sure a lot of wives have that problem. And if they start to make change, that can cause problems with their marriage. Most definitely. And I don't know, I should know this, right? Cause I've listened to the podcast. Have you and dad talked about the box? happiness. And I know he talks uh, yeah. about the strain well. Okay. So essentially, Wait. I don't think you We've guys have. We've only talked about the cup. Okay. So he's going to be doing the box because that's one of his greatest gigs. I'll tell okay. you that. Okay. Um, anyways, that will apply to this because essentially what you have to decide is I get to decide for myself who I am, what I am, what I think, what I feel. Perfectionists, perfectionists don't like that. They love to be handed that, that bar to to excel to. Yeah. Right. It makes you feel like I accomplished this. Look what I did. Yes. Are you happy for me? Are you proud of me? If you accept it from someone else and you achieve it and it wasn't good enough or wasn't valuable, it's not your fault. It's theirs. Mm -hmm. So there's no accountability on that perfectionistic side. Right. Um, I had tendencies. I have, I have a child that has tendencies towards that where she can live up to any expectation Anyone can give her. She knows how to get it done. But if you ask her an opinion or her goal, she she has no idea and doesn't want to know because then if she failed, it would be on her. Yeah. So perfectionists are very good at saying, give me the information, which is so conducive to our society right now, right? I, I'm Every time I'm on Instagram, I think I get an ad for like seven different people telling me how I should be eating. Yeah. And it would be so oh, easy. Yeah. I want, that's what I want. (laughs) Right. Amen. And then if you do, and it didn't work, you'd be like, well, they're full of crap or Mm -hmm. wow, look at me achieve this. But if I decide for myself, you know what, I'm going to do this. And then I don't have success. Then there's a personal, you know Uh, what I'm saying? Yeah. You're really hitting a spot (laughs) right now. (laughs) And okay. Okay. I got, yeah. Dang it. So there, so holding your box, right. Means you get to start to set your own measuring tool. So let's move into like the, what to do. So I talked about using negative self-talk as a motivator. That's what a lot of perfectionists do. And you're saying, I don't relate to that. I don't understand. I mean, I sort of do. Yeah. Okay. Um, so what it is, everyone does that on a level. Yeah. I mean, even, I don't know. Yeah. Like everyone I I'm thinking of, I can think of has done that in one way or another. You've had to say to people, your friends, your children, your spouse, like, don't say that about yourself. Don't, no, yeah. no, no. You're doing great, you know. The textbook answer they give you in school, right, that you that you give your clients is you don't say anything to yourself that you wouldn't say to anybody else. Mm-hmm. But again, sing-songy, this all sounds easy. So let's talk about how you change that if you're existing in a pattern of and, – and here's the thing, shame and guilt. Shame and guilt, in my opinion, have no place anywhere in anyone's lives unless it's motivation for change. Shame to hurt – to punish, to prove that you're not worthy, that's adding to that negative self-talk. So how I tell my clients to look at it is you're learning to be effective in your life. 
So the words that we use, we actually, like, I don't, <laughs> we, we don't use shame. We don't use guilt. We use effective and ineffective okay. because that changes not only the weight that it carries, mm-hmm. um, the way that you talk to yourself, but the way that you perform, but also you get to set up that judgment. For instance, if I see a perfectionist who is worried about getting an A minus and she gets an A minus now would society say, way to go. You got an A minus. No, but for her to be effective in her own life, she's saying, Hey, for me, getting an A minus was effective because it was something I feared the most and I did it and it was okay. Mm-hmm. So, and there's no shame, there's no, because there's no shame or guilt. It's no good, bad, right, wrong. That's how we counteract the good, bad, right, wrong, black, white, inflexible thinking is we change that to effective and ineffective. That's so good. But that is such a like totally different perspective than our entire culture. Yeah. Well, you know, I'll even see clients that that struggle with addiction. If I have a client that struggles with addiction, but has an underlying issue of anxiety, Mm -hmm. I don't want to excuse their behavior, but I'm like, yeah, I get it. Yeah, you escaped this fear and this behavior by using, for that time, that felt effective for you. Now, that behavior moving forward is not going to be effective in your life. If they're saying, no, my my wife or my boyfriend is freaking out because I've done this and I don't want to engage in that, and they're saying, this behavior is not effective, so let's find something different. It's not, what is wrong with you? You're such an idiot. Why would you... you Again, existing in that shame, that adds to the shame that comes with the anxiety that... Co- we're alleviating any of that and saying, let's find motivation for change to become more effective in your own life. And the great thing about that is too, when it's about your life, no one else gets to set those standards because no one's having your journey. Mm-hmm. You're the one that gets to decide, yeah. which can be fear provoking because some people don't want to decide. So anyways, counteracting that good, bad, right, wrong, we'll start, I guess, at the top one and go back through effective and ineffective. You were right on a roll when I interrupted you. But I just also think the fear, the guilt and shame are also a big part of any Christian-based religion. Yes. (laughs) Not necessarily any. I don't know every Christian-based religion. But I know that LDS members, I know Catholics. I mean, I read James Joyce, so it is (laughs) rough. (laughs) But... um. It's just kind of taught, you know, which is funny. I don't know that it it is taught from the LDS faith that I belong to. I don't I believe it is our perception and the way our brains. I I hung on to good, bad, right, wrong my whole like early childhood. That was my motivation of everything. And I had so much fear based on it. I was not taught that. I actually felt like I was taught opposite because in our home we had kind of this split of what was happening. I agree. I agree. Go on. Right. Our dad was not active in our faith. Our mom was. And so I felt like there was a lot of uh, liberties of things that happened. I didn't feel like if I performed a certain way, my parents were going to shame me because my dad was living different than what my mom had believed. But my brain, and when I went and heard other people speak, my immature acceptance of what they were saying and how my brain made sense of it was good, bad, Mm -hmm. right, wrong. There are some things that support that as well. Yes, but there are definitely people who <laughs> feel that way. But yes, and I feel like as an adult, and luckily in how I was raised, I'm okay. Maybe if I don't make the right choice or do the wrong thing, I'm not necessarily full of guilt or shame, which I am okay with 
I mean, maybe this is taboo to be talking about. Maybe we should. I don't know. Take this out, we, if but. you you can, but I'm going to add on that. Then, if we're going to the spiritual okay, side of ahead. that, because our the LDS faith is a religion of repentance, yeah, not of perfection. Right. I didn't believe that. I be, I feared repentance because it meant I had done something wrong. But as I've grown older, I realized the repentance process is the humbling that brings you to the Savior, which allows His work to come full force in your life. So I should have a repentant heart all day long, not because I'm this horrible sinner, even though I am, because we all make mistakes. I shouldn't say horrible sinner. Now I'm anyways, it's accessing his work in our lives and making it applicable. And we do that through a repentant heart. So repentance brings you to his power. It's not something you should fear. It's something you should be excited for. I feared the heck out of it. I wanted nothing to do with it, but also if you think about God and his love for us, do you think as, as a parent to my children, if I hear my children say things about themselves that are negative, it breaks my heart. So I do not believe God is a God that wants us to be motivated by devaluing ourselves. Right. I, I agree. I'm really lucky because I like a few weeks ago, I did something and I was feeling bad and I'm like, oh, Danny, why did I do that? And he's like, stop it. Stop right now. Like, stop feeling guilty. Stop feeling bad just decide you'll do better tomorrow. And I was like, Oh, thank you. Okay. Yeah. That was easy. I'm, I will do better tomorrow and I will be motivated by the positive and the better I'll do instead of getting in this dark hole of, (laughs) well, and you get to learn what's effective for you in your life because what is effective for you may not be the same as somebody else. So you're saying, why did I do that? And he said, you'll do better tomorrow, or maybe you'll do different. Mm-hmm. Maybe what it was that was feeling guilt doesn't fit in your life where you want it to fit. And you're going to make it look different through a different behavior. Yeah. Right. And so it's yeah. just finding motivation to change. Okay. Right. So um, let's go back to this negative self-talk though how we rewrite that. So the effective and ineffective, but here's the deal because we give our brains the information that we seek for evidence to be true. If someone comes into my office and says, Oh yeah, my, my self-talk, I tell myself I'm an idiot. Why would anyone love me? Why would, you know, if I, if I do, if I make a mistake, if I say something to a person that's embarrassing, I think, why do you talk to people? You're such an idiot. You always embarrass yourself. You're such a fool. Now, Learning to be effective in that means let's rewrite that, okay? Rewriting it is giving it an alternative reality that your mind can actually believe. It isn't, when I say don't exist in negative self-talk, it isn't I suck, just kidding, I'm awesome. That's hard to make that jump. So what you do is you create alternative realities that your brain can believe to be true and you hang your hat on that one. Um, If I have a client that says, I said something to my boss that was so embarrassing. I am such an idiot. I cannot believe it. All of my coworkers looked at me like I was a fool. I don't know why I ever talk. Why do I have this job? I don't deserve it. I'm not where I should be. So they said something embarrassing to their boss. The negative self-talk came in. How do you rewrite that? Give, what are five, Libby, let's see if you could. What are five alternative realities that could still be true around that scenario, but empowering? I'll give you one to start out with. Yay, I know what not to say next time. So it doesn't mean that the experience didn't happen, but the the lens, the perspective I'm going to choose to look at it from is something different than what I was stuck in. Yeah. Okay. So I'm not going to do that 
I won't say that again. What's something else? Okay. Well, my initial response was not the healthiest one. It was to blame him and say, (laughs) well, actually what I was saying was totally normal. He's just a jerk. That that's possible. (laughs) That one be more specific about yourself. It could say, I bet I just empowered everyone else in the office. Yeah. They're not fearful of speaking now after they've heard me speak. Yeah. Again, it's not, it's not discounting what happened. It's just taking a different approach to the way I choose to see it. Mm-hmm. What else? Can you think of another one? Oh, yeah. I mean, I would just think about, I, I basically can only think of that I learned my lesson and I will not do that again. Okay. Like, life is about learning. Great. That was a hard one, but I learned it and I'm Great. good That's go. a good one. It could be, gosh, I shouldn't, I needed more sleep last night. You have to be investigative into yourself to create, but I'm telling you, create as many alternative realities that you can, and then choose the one to hang your hat on. Now, if you recognize that whatever you did does cause need for change for you to continue to be effective, that's okay. That's motivating change, but you're using, you're finding that out of empowerment for yourself, the way you're choosing to see it instead of shaming yourself, because I'll tell you fear Shame, it works, but it's that slippery slope into poor value and it gets heavy and burdensome. Hope, empowerment helps you sail. I remember I was over a youth conference for my area and we went um, rock climbing and there's this cute girl. I just adore her. And she was embarrassed to go because she's afraid she wasn't going to do it well. And she was a high performing girl. Mm -hmm. And I said to her, if you don't do it well, Think of how much you are going to empower all those little girls that think you're wonderful and can't live up to you, how much more willing they're going to be able to try when they see you try and not do it perfectly. Mm -hmm. And she was like, oh my gosh. And she did it. And she didn't do it well. She did it well, but not perfect. Mm -hmm. And it was okay because the perspective was, I'm going to empower others to see that it's okay that they're not perfect as well. Yeah. Makes sense? Mm -hmm. Okay. So rewriting an alternative reality, but it has to be one that your brain believes can be true. Yeah. I just thought of one. So okay. I had this last week, I had a, I put my foot in my mouth with one of my friends and I didn't realize it. And then someone brought it up to me. And so then I went to that friend and was like, uh, you maybe didn't even notice, but I said this, I guess. And it was offensive and I'm sorry. And she was like, Oh yeah, I've been thinking about that for a few days. (laughs) And I was like, oh, okay. So for a few days, I just played it out in my mind about so many different things. Okay, Libby, you need to think before you speak. You are sarcastic. Not everyone is sarcastic. You, You sometimes can get a little too extreme in your sarcasm and that's not for everyone. And then it continued. And I was like, I get to be myself. I'm not responsible for how other people react to me. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of the one I settled on, but I share it with, I do want to watch what I say more because as much as I do believe it is up to ourselves to decide how we feel and Mm -hmm. not to someone else you can definitely influence that and mm-hmm. help. And so I want to help by not being offensive to, especially my friends who I love. So yeah, so I worked on that for a few days, just thinking about 
those things. And I feel like I've come to a good conclusion where I don't have that pit in my stomach and I'm not, you know, worried about yeah. it. Anymore. And it's motivation to make change. Right. Yeah. In and a way a that's change. not weighty. Yeah. Yeah. So we've talked about what to do with the negative self-talk, the good, the bad, the right, the wrong. Let's go to have to versus choose to fear versus choice. So a lot of people think with perfectionistic tendencies, I have to complete this because my value is dependent on it. I have to get a 4-0. I have to weigh 116 pounds or whatever it might be um, that are handed. And I'm not saying that any of those things are not good goals. All of those are good goals. Um, I'm not downplaying the, the importance of setting goals, but with perfectionists, it becomes there's no longer a choice in it. it ha- it's a have to instead of a choose to. So have to versus choose to, anytime you're doing something out of have to, it's fear-based. So what you do is you ask yourself, what is my motivation behind doing this? Am I getting straight A's because I have to? Because if I don't, my parents aren't going to think I'm smart. They're not going to think I'm as special, as valuable, as whatever it might be. If I, if I don't weigh a hundred and however many pounds, are boys not going to like me? Are people going to judge me? I'm just thinking of things that I hear in my office. I will tell you this. It's okay to say, I want to get a 4-0 because I choose to, mm-hmm. because I choose to work hard and I know I'm smart enough. Right. I choose to work out and exercise because I want to have a healthy heart and a clear mind. I choose. It's, it's the difference. The behavior may be the same, but it's the motivation behind them. Now, if you find yourself living by a lot of have tos, going back to religion, do I go to church because I have to or because I choose to? The have to is if I don't, God's going to punish me. Um, People are going to judge me. And it works. Have to works. It just becomes heavy. Oh, yeah. So heavy. Thank you. Heck no. Am I going because I have to? Because we all know. (laughs) But do I go because or do I go because I choose to because I recognize that I feel better for my week? I recognize that I have good conversations with my kids about values that are being discussed. Mm -hmm. I choose to. So if you're trying to make that shift, what it looks like is finding a way to create an ability to choose. Recognize what's motivating you. If it is fear, do you still want to be engaged in that activity? Or do you find a way to rewrite it in a way that you get to choose? It is okay too. I do have to say this. As perfectionists make change, it's not always pretty, especially when you're new at it. Saying no is a great thing that a lot of perfectionists need to learn because suddenly it's no longer based on a have to, but I get to choose to, and I'm going to choose to say no. Mm -hmm. But when you're not used to saying no, oftentimes that first no comes out like a no, Mm -hmm. and it's aggressive and ugly. And you're like, what? Oh, that was awful. I'm not doing that again. But don't be afraid of the process. Stay engaged long enough that you can go, no, no, Mm, no, you know, that's not going to work for me. Sorry. No, it becomes easier the more that you engage in it. But also it can send you down different paths that you're not used to. Parents, that's okay. It's a learning curve. Yeah. Your friends are going to have a hard time when they ask you to do something and you say no. And they're like, oh, what? Yes. This has never happened. Now, 
now I have to bake 75 rolls, <laughs> right? Yeah. No, it's really funny. I actually had an experience um, when I was trying to teach myself to be better at saying no with my mom. And my mom has always been a great, great supporter, but I am was always happy to step up and do what I think needed to be done. And I remember the first time where I, I held a consistent no over something that was silly, but I think my mom was like, uh, okay. Like, I think it was kind of a weird thing to even say no to. But at the time I was like, oh my gosh, I said no. I can't believe I said no. And it felt great. And it was kind of an ugly no. And she was like, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think she probably was thinking, I'm, I'm not sure why you needed to say no over that. But for me, it was a big hurdle. And let me say that as you have learned to say no, mom has also learned to say no. It's still hard for her, but she's done it. So, yeah. you know, which before... And I feel like this is maybe in the last like 10 or 15 years. Yeah, there were a few times when I would ask mom for things and I'd be like, wait, my mom's a yes woman. Of course she will. And then it was like, (laughs) oh, okay, well, great. And it empowers me to be able to say no. And it's very liberating for the people around you to teach you like, oh, okay, yeah, we actually all get to do what we want to do. And have you guys talked with dad about the mirror and matching? Mm -hmm. Okay. It's a great example. As you become empowered, you mirror to those around you, not only your ability to do so, but your acceptance of their ability to do it within themselves. You're comfortable with it in yourself, which means I can be comfortable with it in you. So I'm a safe place for Mm -hmm. you to be you around me. Yes. Anyways, finding flexibility, learning to say no, being more effective in your life, um, rewriting, all of those things. I'll say when we originally talked about this, it was perfectionists believe that their value is dependent on their ability to perform. Your ability to make these changes are attributions back to yourself of value. As you do this work that is hard, you find your value. Anytime you do something that is hard, that you seek uh, ways to make change and you do the work, your subconscious is aware of that. And that is an attribution back to your value of saying, Mm -hmm. oh my gosh, look at me. That leads me to two other things, celebrating yourself, celebrating yourself for even those 1% opportunities of choice. Like by going and buying yourself something at Lululemon or I would start at like Dairy Queen with a blizzard because they're like three bucks and maybe because my family likes ice cream, but yes, or jumping on your bed. I will tell you, I get, I've gotten this from probably like seven clients when we talk about celebrating yourself. Give me something you can do that doesn't cost that would make you feel like you're on top of the world. And I've had no less than seven girls, emerging adult girls tell me I will jump on my bed while listening to Beyonce. Ooh. So Beyonce, bravo to her. Thank you, Queen Bee, right? for all you do for us. So celebrating yourself and then knowing this, there is this equation that a lot of perfectionists believe. And I saw this on a blog somewhere, an LDS blog, but this idea that me plus more equals value. Me plus friends, me plus Finn, me plus a boyfriend. And I'm talking towards girls. This applies to men as well. Me plus women, me plus a high paying job means I have worth. I have value. I will tell you this, that equation is a lie. If you know your value, if it's you plus your worth, you already know your value. All of those things are easier to access. It's just the energy behind it because it's no longer a need. It's a want. And that is the fear base 
versus the empowerment, the choice base. Need is fear. Want is choice. That's about it. (laughs) I think we covered, yeah, all there is to cover in that. 53 minutes was it really wow that's long sorry no that's good luck. perfect good, good luck editing thanks it'll, only <laughs> it'll be take 22 seven minutes. hours <laughs> okay so thank you for listening to the full cup we hope to be with you again maybe next week do you want to cover depression i'd be happy to cover depression okay maybe we'll cover depression do you have people that write in questions mm-hmm we can also answer questions. Yeah. Well, some are like, uh, you, I'll give you the phone number and you can make an appointment. Keep in mind, these podcasts are just at the tip of the iceberg yes. into possibilities of work to be done. Yes. And this is a lot of the stuff we talk is lighthearted enough that it's something you could think about on your own and make that right. change. But, oh yeah, because I'm sitting here thinking like, Yes, this is so helpful. This is so helpful. But I know I have so much work to do that would require like individual counseling or yeah, something where I have someone challenging me and helping me set goals and make those changes. So are you taking any clients? (laughs) (laughs) I think I, yeah, Yeah, yeah. I, yes. I will say this. If you want a challenge from listening to these podcasts, the challenge you'll get from mine today, no negative self-talk okay. at all. I don't believe in perfectionism. Mm-hmm. I think it's a lie. So I don't expect perfection. But be aware of the way that you talk to yourself. You mirror that to your children also. Whether you say it or not, your thoughts, your energy is expunged onto them. Don't exist in negative self-talk. Learn to be effective, not guilt. And then be motivated always out of choice, not out of fear. There's always an option to find even 1% of choice in all things. Perfect. That was a perfect wrap. I like that a lot. All right. Thank you everyone for listening. Peace out.